sometimes the fires need to burn to get rid of the old dead timber of our lives, to allow new growth to take place, that we will be healthy spiritually in eternity's values and views. And after the fire sweeps through their lives, through my life, other people's lives, when the Lord does what he wants to do, then oftentimes I've found that I can poke around. And you know what you'll find? You'll find some gold and silver and precious stones that are left. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Paul the Apostle writing to the church of Corinth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become clear. For today will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work with which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, we have seen very clearly going through this epistle that one of the problems that was affecting the Christians there at the church at Corinth was this whole problem of division. The Christians there of Corinth were splitting up, they were dividing from one another, and they were ones that were quarreling, they were fighting, they were ones that they were desiring to follow after uh, the wisdom of men, follow that one who had persuasive words of human wisdom or had great oratory skills. And so there was strife and there was envy and it would lead to their divisions. And so Paul, ever since chapter 1, has been addressing this whole problem of division in the church of Corinth. Now we know that 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter, isn't it? We're going to see that as we go through this letter that Paul's going to be addressing a number of issues here that they needed to be corrected in. And so we see the very first problem that he addresses is there division? Is there carnality? Is there desiring to follow after men and seek the wisdom of man rather than the wisdom of God? Paul knew that it was a serious problem. And so in chapter 1, as he says that it is foolishness to the gospel messages to those who are perishing. And he goes on to explain 
that I've heard of your divisions. Some of you are saying that I'm of Paul, some are saying of Apollo, some are saying of Cephas. And so as he's addressing those things, he's talking about the Corinthians who desire to follow after wisdom. Remember that they had that mindset that they wanted to uh, be ones that follow after the one who had prestige, who seemed to speak eloquently, the one who had human wisdom. And Paul would say that when I came to you in Corinth, I came with much trembling and weakness and in fear. And I didn't come with persuasive words of human wisdom, but I came to you in a demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And I came preaching nothing to you, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the reason that Paul was bringing that simple message of the gospel, Christ crucified because he knew that it was the power that changed people's lives. That the gospel message, Jesus going to the cross for you because of his love for you, to provide forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with God, then that is the power to save. That is the power to change a person's life. And so that was the simplistic message that he brought. And so Paul was writing to them about those things, and he was saying it's the spiritual man that understands the things of God. He knows the things of God because of the Spirit of God that is working in his life, revealing those things to him. So the spiritual man who has understanding of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to him, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, speaking in that still small voice, sensitive to the leading and sensitive to the things of God uh, in his life. He has maturity. It is the natural man, he would go on to say in chapter 2, that doesn't understand the things of God because he's an unbeliever. He doesn't have the Spirit of God revealing those things to him. But then as we entered into chapter 3 last week, we saw that Paul addressed the Corinthians and he said, I'd like to talk to you as spiritual, that is those who are more mature, but I'm not able to because you're babes in Christ. And rather than taking in the solid food of God's word, what you're doing is you're just dribbling in milk and you continue to do that. Remember that as Paul is writing this letter, he's writing this letter to them about five years after he established the church there in Corinth. He's in Ephesus. He is there on his third missionary journey, and he's taken the time to write to these Christians addressing these issues, and that is of their immaturity, of their carnality, as we go into chapter 3. And he would characterize their carnality as being envy and strife, that the result would be their division. They were dividing and again, saying this group was saying, we're of Apollo, so we're going to separate from everybody else. This group over here saying, well, we're of Cephas, or that is Peter, and we're going to separate from all the others. And this group over here saying, well, our man is Paul, so we're going to separate from everybody else. And so Paul was very concerned about that. And the reason he was concerned, as we have discussed, is because he knew that it would bring great damage to the church, that the work of God would uh, be stopped, and also that it brought a false spirituality. So Paul here emphasizing in this chapter, as we saw, that all of us have a part in the kingdom of God. There is one that plants, there is one that waters, but both are necessary. And God chooses ordinary people like you and me to walk in his wisdom, to know his wisdom, and to be used of him in the kingdom of God, to present that simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Now, we saw back in chapter 1 that Paul actually said that God chooses the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, to confine the wise and the strong, and the things that are not to bring the not, the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. So he's trying to get them to understand the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom, and that God's wisdom is much greater than man's wisdom. And they needed to have that understanding, again, because they were into intellect and knowledge and philosophy and all of this. That was their mindset. And God's ways are not your ways. God's thoughts are much higher than man's thoughts. And so you've been called, ordinary people like you and me, to serve, to minister, to present the gospel. And whatever it is that God has called you to do, whether it is planting or whether it's watering, that we work together is what he's saying to them. We don't work against each other. The, the farmer who goes out and farms and, and plants a field and waters to get a harvest, their workers are not out there competing against each other. They're cooperating with each other so that there is a harvest. And so that's what Paul is, is getting across to them, a very important part. You're not in competition with one another. And so we ended last week as he's talking about the one who waters, the one who plants, the one who serves in the body of Christ, that our foundation is Jesus Christ alone. When we believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, now remember, as we talked about last week, that Jesus Christ being our foundation, it was in Matthew chapter 16, that when Jesus was with his disciples up there at Caesarea Philippi, that he asked them, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and upon this rock, that is the rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. And so for 2,000 years, the church has been built upon this foundation, Jesus Christ, and has become this holy temple, this holy habitation. And Paul's going to make reference to that as we continue on. But he is our foundation. And everything that we do as a Christian in our lives, the way that we live our lives, in serving him, is likened, he says, our works to wood, hay, and stubble, or it is like gold, silver, and precious metals. And the day is going to come, verse 13, as we read and as we covered last week, that all of our works are one day going to be tried by fire. It will be tried by fire when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And in the Greek, it translates the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, we will stand before our Lord in our works. Everything that we built upon that foundation, when we said in our hearts that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that all of our works are going to be tried by fire. Wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn, as we saw that he would say, um, as it becomes clear what sort of work it is, um, and it, it will be burnt. He will suffer loss, verse 15, but he himself will be saved. So remember this, we're not talking about salvation. Because Jesus, he took the judgment that you and I deserve on Calvary's cross. So we're not going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ to be judged for our sins. But we're going to have our works be tried by fire. And there are rewards that are to be given to you and I. Whether we have done good or bad, 
what we have done in this life, as Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Our works being tried by fire, whether they're wood, hay, and stubble, which is perishable, they will burn up, gold, silver, precious metals that will shine forth, and you will receive a reward, is what he says here in verse 14. And so very important things that we understand, and um, very important that we understand rewards are going to be given to you and to me when we go to heaven. And we're going to be rewarded according to the motives of our hearts. Because sometimes people say, well, what's wood, hay, and stubble, and what's gold, silver, and precious metals? What's the difference? You recall that Jesus said to the religious leaders who were doing good works, spiritual things, there in Matthew chapter 6, as they were fasting, as they were praying, as they were giving, as they would sit in the front rows, of the synagogue, that Jesus said, because you want to be seen of men, you would blow the trumpets when you gave. You would stand on street corners and give this long, elaborate prayers, that you fasted there in the marketplaces, so everybody would look at you all gaunt and, and pale looking and say, look how spiritual they are, they're fasting. You wanted to be seen of men. You wanted to be exalted. You wanted to have people gather around you. You've received your reward. But he would say, those who pray in secret, those who fast without making a show of it, those who are just loving me and serving in simplicity and in humility, and those of us who do the work of the Lord in very simple ways, whatever the Lord would have you to do, wherever he's planted you and given you opportunities, maybe to make a meal for somebody, maybe to pray for somebody, maybe to get a cup of water for a child who is thirsty, that as you do that out of humility and a love for the Lord, as you do that because you want to further the kingdom of God, there is going to be reward. It's gold, silver, and precious metals. But the Lord is going to be the one that's going to judge that. He knows the motives of the hearts. So I pray that we understand that there needs to be a right motive in serving the Lord, a servant's heart, a humility of heart, a contrite spirit, not to be seen of men, not to receive the praise of men, and uh, to be exalted and try to get a gathering around ourselves. So very important understanding here that a lot of Christians don't really understand or realize that there are rewards that are waiting for you and for me in heaven. But there is a secondary application that I want to pass along, and it's simply this. That you may be saying that I would like to serve, I would like to do some work for the Lord, I'd like to, to be more involved in the church, whatever it might be, but I can't right now. Because I've gone through a time in my life or a circumstance or a situation in my life where I tried to do that and I ended up getting burned. I ended up going through a fire. Maybe you had an experience where you were burned by a church. Maybe burned by a Christian. Or maybe you were ministering to non-believers and it was very difficult and they came down on you and made fun of you. Made things hard for you and you're thinking, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I just want to encourage you that I understand that that hurt can be very real. But here's the thing, don't stop and don't quit. Allow the Lord to, to minister to you that healing and that comfort that you need. And the Lord has work for you. And any of us that serve the Lord in any capacity, there will be those difficult times, there will be those trials, there will be people that will perhaps come down on us or criticize us or whatever it might be. But don't let that stop you. And you allow the Lord to bring that comfort and that healing and restoration to you and continue to serve the Lord and allow Him to make you 
better in that as he's working in your life. But don't remain bitter. Continue to serve in simplicity of heart because you love him. And so I want to encourage you because I know that I talk to, as I do, a whole lot of people. They sometimes will say, well, I'd like to, but I had a terrible experience. We'll sit and be healed and comforted and be in a place where you can serve, where you can serve freely and continue on. But don't be discouraged from never serving again. I know pastors that I've talked to that showed up at their church and all of a sudden the board said to them, sorry, you're gone. We don't want you anymore for no reason except the church wasn't growing fast enough or they didn't have enough programs. They wanted somebody more dynamic. And I've talked to those in full-time ministry that have gone through those times of being burnt. And there's real hurt in that. I don't want to diminish the hurt that can happen in an individual's life. But the Lord's not through with you. And the Lord desires to continue to use you. But there's another consideration that I'd like to pass along, and then we're going to move on. Truly, we will. But I think this is important. In life, when it comes to relationships, whether it's somebody at work or in ministry or in your own family, we know that fires break out, don't they? Fires, difficulties, problems can break out in their lives. Fires break out all around us. And what our tendency can be is to think, well, i got to help put out this fire. I can help solve their problem. I can help and and appease them or please them, try to make them happy. I'll try to keep them out of trouble, whatever it might be. And perhaps the Lord might have you do that. But I do want to say this, to have you consider this, and that is that you be careful. And that you pray for wisdom and discernment, for direction and from guidance from the Lord when those fires break out. You seek the Lord before you get your bucket of water and your shovel and you try to put out that fire in your own wisdom, in your own ability, in your own understanding. And here's the thing, if you are in a position where you can do that or you're a good people person or what the world might think and consider you as a good people person, being able to, to, to go and, and make peace rather than confront, or if you're clever, if you're gifted, you can control that fire. You can control it. And you can go out with your bucket of water and your shovel, and you can stomp it out, and then you can go over here and stomp out that fire, and then you can go over here and stomp out that fire and throw the bucket of water on it, whatever it might be. And again, I'm not saying that the Lord would not have you to do that, but I do know this. Over the years that I have had in working with people, and ministering to them, I know that the Lord has said to me at times that, you know what, Jeff, you need to let it go and you need to let it burn. You need to let it burn. It doesn't mean we're not sensitive in helping people. It doesn't mean that I don't ever step in and try to help people. I do all the time. But I know there are times where the Lord will say, listen, I am trying to do a work here and I'm trying to do a work in that individual in this circumstance You need to just let it burn right now. Do you know what I mean? When I was at CSU years ago in the forestry program, I graduated from CSU in their forestry program, there's one thing that we understood and we began to find out there in the 80s, and that was the Smokey the Bear campaign. 
You don't hear so much of Smokey the Bear anymore. You used to all the time in the 60s and 70s and in the 80s. And the Smokey the Bear campaign really had some positive results, but we also found out it had some very negative results. And the way that it had negative results is that when you went to the National Forest and you saw the sign of Smokey the Bear, and he says only you can prevent forest fires, and he's got all his little animals there, and the deer and squirrels and the rabbits and all that around him, we had the thought of all fires are bad, that they're terrible. And so that's what was ingrained in us. But there's something that we forgot as foresters, and it was this, that we forgot that fire was a natural part of the ecology. And that fires oftentimes would sweep through an area. We would do studies on, on the rings of trees called dendrochronology. And what we would find, that is before the 1930s, that regularly a fire, you can tell a lot of things from the rings. When there was a drought season, when there was a wet season, when even a fire went through because it would leave a little scar, that regularly through a, a stand of timber here along the front range in Colorado, that there would be a fire that would sweep through, kind of clean things out. Then after that, you wouldn't see any because they would go out and put out the fires right away. So they began to conclude that fuels would build up and dead timber would build up, and it made for more of a chance of a, a large fire, a catastrophic fire, to just blow up and break out. So we forgot that fire oftentimes would clean up the dead timber and the brush as it went through an area. And, and many of the trees regenerated by a fire coming through, cleaning out the old timber and causing new growth of the trees to take place, that all fires weren't bad. But actually, they were good in the long run in maintaining a healthy forest. Now, my purpose in telling you this is not to give you a forest ecology lesson. But to simply say this, that sometimes the fires need to burn to get rid of the old dead timber of our lives, to allow new growth to take place, that we will be healthy spiritually in eternity's values and views. And after the fire sweeps through their lives, through my life, other people's lives, when the Lord does what he wants to do in cleaning out that old timber, and things that are dead. And oftentimes I've found that I can poke around. And you know what you'll find? You'll find some gold and silver and precious stones that are left. And I can begin to rebuild on that. And I watch the new growth come into my life. And I allow the Lord to do his work through me and in me. Even when it's hot, I allow the fire to go. And again, for you who are involved with people, your family, ministering to others, whatever it might mean for you, don't think that you have to put every fire out that you see around you and run out there and stomp it out. Times you will. But other times the Lord might be saying to you, you need to let it burn. I'm doing a work here. And I hope that I've articulated well enough to give us something to consider and think about as we go through life. Because sometimes when we do that, we're not helping them. And we can control the situation. But things build up, and the dead timber builds up, and the dead stuff of life, and they just continues on, and it continues on, and it just makes for a day when it's all going to blow up someday. Because what the Lord wanted to do wasn't done. Because we didn't let it burn. And so here Paul, as he talks about the wood, hay, and stubble, that someday our life is, 
is our works that we've done as we stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ is going to be tried by fire, determine whether it is wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious metals. Rewards will be given for that which pleases the Lord that we did to honor him. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. And may our works be likened to that which is gold and silver and precious metals. Well, let's continue on. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now, most of us know that our bodies are referred to in the New Testament as the temple of God. We are going to see in a couple chapters in chapter 6 that we're going to be told, Paul writes, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you? And certainly here as we read about that we are the temple of God, we can make application to us individually being the temple of God. But I believe, and many Bible commentators believe that what Paul is talking about here, making reference to in chapter 3, is that talking about the temple of God referring to the church corporately. The church built upon the foundation Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.